Hey, Critical Thinkers, welcome to this episode of Healthy and Wake Podcast, where today is a bit different from what we usually do. This is a rebroadcast of an episode of Cognitive Crucible, where I was the guest on this particular episode. So it will feel a little different, because normally when I have guests on this show, I'm doing maybe 20% of the talking. So you'll get to experience the inverse of that, where I'm doing closer to 80% of the talking. And the reason I actually asked the host if I could uh, rebroadcast this here, because I really believe in the work that their organization is doing. So please subscribe to Cognitive Crucible podcast uh, if you value protecting your cognition, your mind, your thoughts. Uh, but this podcast, Cognitive Crucible, is an extension of IPA, Information Professionals Association. And they were started by a group of military experts, people in the military who did psychological operations, which is very cool. I mean, I'm honored to have been on that type of platform getting to talk about relevant topics to them. Uh, because, you know, on Healthy and Awake podcast, that's a lot of what we talk about, propaganda, influence, and protecting yourself from those sorts of things. And so this episode is really about fifth-generation warfare and how that relates to health and how you can protect yourself. So if you don't know what that means, uh, fifth-generation warfare, like that warfare, what does that have to do with health? Uh, well, I, I elaborate in the episode, but I also have a previous episode of my own podcast where I talk about fifth-generation warfare and why it's important. But I got to go a little more in-depth into it and... Like I said, I'm I'm really proud of this episode. So please follow Cognitive Crucible. Uh, please check out IPA, Information Professionals Association, uh, and the good work that they're doing there. But especially enjoy the episode. And here, oh, uh, no more intro. I got rid of that. So I got to figure out what's next. You know, the, the song that I usually play. Uh, so that's gone. Rest in peace, intro. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, here we go. Welcome to The Cognitive Crucible, produced by the Information Professionals Association. Our website is information-professionals.org, where you can find links and information about today's conversation and get access to members-only content. Join John Bicknell and explore all aspects of our generational challenge, cognitive security. The Cognitive Crucible is a forum that presents different perspectives and emerging thought leadership related to the information environment. The opinions expressed by guests are their own, and do not necessarily reflect the views of or endorsement by the Information Professionals Association. Ladies and gentlemen, a very brief announcement before we begin today's discussion. The Information Professionals Association is actively looking for a new president to lead IPA for the next two years. Over the last two years, under the leadership of Mr. Kevin Gates, IPA has grown significantly, both in membership and in public stature, and we're looking for a new president who can continue this momentum and help us pursue the IPA mission. So if you or someone you know has the vision and experience to lead this organization, please go to information-professionals.org and right there on the homepage you will find a link for more information. And now on to the discussion. My guest today on the Cognitive Crucible is Mike Vera, who is a board-certified health coach holding a master's of science degree specialized in sports psychology 
performance enhancement, and injury prevention. As the founder of Red Pill Health and Wellness, he is dedicated to debunking health myths and empowering individuals with scientifically accurate information. Mike Vera, welcome to The Cognitive Crucible. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. The conversation I'd like to have with you today, Mike, will cover health myths and propaganda. But before we get into these topics, could we start by getting your overall assessment of our strategic landscape, or if you prefer, your comment on the times in which we live? Yeah, I think probably the best term to start with this answer is fifth generation warfare. Uh, conventionally, when you think about warfare, uh, most people would imagine two opposing groups of people shooting guns at each other. And that's definitely been true. But today we find ourselves in a landscape where warfare has an element of deception to it that carries over into the civilian life. And it's something that involves an attack on our cognition through information warfare like propaganda. And of course, that's something that can lead us to making decisions that might not be in our best interest, that might be in the best interest of the propagators, of the propagandists, of the people who are putting out that information to shape our opinions and our behaviors. So I see it as very important to start from a place of recognition, of realizing that the world is not exactly how it seems. And once we realize that and accept it, we can start to navigate the landscape accordingly. Nice, nice. Um, you know, uh, the, the mission of the Information Professionals Association is to uh, bring together a diverse group of uh, people who are thinking about uh, these kinds of problems that you're just articulating there, Mike. And it's, it, it's super easy. You know, uh, uh, IPA's uh, DNA, if you will, or, you know, our founding team, uh, very much has a, a, a national security heritage, uh, but it it's a much bigger problem than just the national security community. It's a it's a societal challenge, and so having people like you into this forum who uh, have you know are, are are coming from a different vantage is a, a really important part of the IPA project. And so thanks for what you're doing uh, with with your podcast and with your business and. Uh, uh, looking forward to unpacking that a little bit more. Maybe we can start with uh, the name of your business. It's uh, Red Pill Health and Wellness. Um, do you think maybe for those in our audience that might be unfamiliar with the red pill concept, you, you could explain that and also maybe use that to help um, uh, describe you know, what got you interested in health-related disinformation in the first place? Sure. So I have two answers for that. Um, red pill is a term that has been popularized by the movie The Matrix. So if anybody has seen that, they know there's a scene in the movie where the main character, Neo, is offered a choice between two pills. The blue pill basically puts him back to sleep and he lives in a false reality. And the red pill wakes him up to the truth of the real world that he's in. And to be honest, I think the movie The Matrix has done more of a disservice than anything because it's hard to talk about the idea of a matrix. Uh, a matrix is a technical term. It's a very real thing, meaning like a part of your environment. And unfortunately, nowadays, when people hear that word, the matrix, it's kind of written off as like a, a conspiracy theory because you're talking about the movie. It's, it's easy to dismiss. 
but nonetheless, the term red pill is a colloquial term in society referring to this idea of waking people up. And so I feel like it's the perfect analogy uh, to talk about what my mission is. And it's not just to talk to people who maybe are already awake, but it's actually to wake people up. And I mean to help uh, restore their full consciousness because a lot of people operate on a type of autopilot where they're not making conscious decisions. Uh, they're kind of just reacting to the signals in their environment. And that can be a problem. That's how propaganda can be effective. So when I say red pill, the idea is to wake people up to these sorts of things. But what really got me interested in this sort of, uh, these sorts of topics would be at 13 years old, George Carlin. I heard him on Napster. He's a stand-up comedian. And in his later years, he was saying things like challenge authority, question everything you read, be skeptical. And as a 13-year-old kid, I wasn't hearing stuff like that before. All I was hearing in the school system from my parents, from everywhere else is trust authority, you know, just go with the flow, behave. And George Carlin was telling me the opposite of that. And I'm not telling people to misbehave, but it definitely struck something in me that really stuck with me through everything I did for the rest of my life that never went away. And the deeper that sort of instilled in my mentality, the more I could see manipulation and influence efforts from everywhere, from political propaganda to marketing and advertising to just your average person, maybe peer pressuring. So I, I could just see it everywhere. And you know, it really shaped how I looked at the world still. And I, it upsets me when some people fail to see that in any degree at all, and it really leaves them vulnerable. So I think it's very important to talk about. I see. Yeah. I vividly remember, I might've been in like sixth grade or seventh grade or something like this. And, uh, my science teacher, uh, I believe that this was like at the very beginning of the semester. This was like day one, you know, class, class one of uh, this particular class. And this lady, you know, got up in front of the class and said, hey, this is going to be, oh, she, maybe it was like a, like science ke chemistry type thing. Anyway, she's like, hey, you know, kids, this is going to be a great class. I'm really looking forward to it. Let me just show you the kind of thing that we're going to be, you know, doing here. And she said, here, I, I've, I've got, uh, I've got a flask here with like, it's just got some water in it and I've got this over here and I'm going to, you know, uh, you know, mix these things together. And, uh, as, as she mixed the two items together into what was, you know, water, right. You know, it, it like turned the water like bright purple or something like that, which was it just like it, impossible. But her, her point was, you know, or, you know, she, she looks at the class and says something like, uh, like, oh, I, I see a bunch of surprised looks on your faces. Why is that? And they're like, but yeah, how can water do that? And it's like, well, it turns out it's not water. It was some kind of like alcohol solution or something like that. But yeah, her, her point was, I think, a, a similar point to what you were just making, Mike. It's like, uh, be skeptical. Don't, don't take everything that you hear and see uh, for granted. And it was a, it, it's a lesson that really stuck with me. And it was, you know, delivered in a really... Um, helpful way. But th that's the kind of thing also that I've thought about. Like, you know, if, if I were in front of a classroom of uh, fourth graders or a classroom of eighth graders, you know, 
what is like the big takeaway that you could give those youngsters, you know, relevant to all of this? And my big takeaway that I would give to kids is something like, you need to understand that you are being influenced constantly. And some of that influence is like typical, normal, like commercials for products and stuff like that, you know, things that are like overt, but you are also being influenced in ways that you just don't understand and that, you know, are very hard to detect. And you just need to be aware of that. And I, I think that probably uh, resonates with the kinds of things that, that you pass along to the people you engage with as well. Absolutely. And you use a cool example how a scientific experiment can be used to you know, very ethically demonstrate the manipulation that can take place. And you see the same sorts of things in magic, for instance, like actual magicians doing magic trick. Uh, they're influencing you. They're manipulating you to think one thing is happening while they're using sleight of hand or some sort of trickery to lead you to a surprised result and the involuntary reaction of the surprise. And so... You know, propaganda is just like a magic trick because it does involve an element of deception. But similarly, once you see how the trick is done, it doesn't have that same impact. You can't be surprised or fooled again. So whether we're talking about magic or a science experiment or propaganda, there is something to having a scrutinizing eye and being able to see the manipulation that might be taking place so that not only you can defend yourself against the manipulation, but you can actually use it for your own benefit. You can use those tools and tactics to set yourself up for success. Right. Uh, maybe you could describe, Mike, uh, some of the real-world impacts of health-related falsehoods that you've encountered or that, that, that you try to uh, teach people. Yeah, well, the biggest thing is poor health. You know, especially you look in the United States, where are all the healthy people? You see chronic disease on the rise, obesity on the rise. Basically, every illness or unhealthy possible category is on the rise. And part of that is because of the information in our environment. As you know, any health coach will talk to people about their environment and the signals that it's sending. So if we're talking about changing your diet, Okay, what does your home look like? What signals is your home sending you? Do you have cookies visible? Do you have ice cream ready to go? You know, that's your environment. And those are signals that are being sent to you. And weight loss or exercise, you know, what signals is your environment telling you there? Is it is your house so comfortable? Is your life so comfortable that it makes it tough to go into challenge? And, and are there obstacles to getting to the gym and all these sorts of things? And my point here is that we often fail to pay attention to the information in our environment. We open up our phones, we turn on our TVs, and we just invite all of these influential messages into our lives really without much thought about how it might be affecting us. And often the things that we don't think about in, in terms of affecting us sometimes have a, a dramatic impact. So I think this creates prime opportunity for people to make poor decisions about health, to be misled about health. And especially, you know, you look at the past few years, what has happened with uh, the whole controversial health uh, event that has happened over the past few years. You have people wearing masks and all that. Mm -hmm. And it certainly caused a lot of confusion and 
uh, mayhem, distrust, and and all the this chaos really around health. And and there's information coming at you from every angle. So I, I think that is really a key to health. As weird as it sounds, propaganda being a key to health. I think almost nobody would say that, but I'm I'm here to say exactly that. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure I'm sure this is not uh, limited to health related marketing. Uh, but health related marketing, it seems to me is like notorious for, uh, I don't know, falsehoods or sensationalized claims. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of stuff like a hundred years ago or 150 years ago with like, you know, magic elixirs, which will cure aches and pains and all this kind of stuff, uh, all the way through to, to today. So, I mean, what, what, what are some of the themes, I guess, or the typical tactics that you've uncovered that are, uh, you know, can be kind of described as, I don't know, either un unethical health marketing or, you know, take, t take that in whatever direction you think is productive. Yeah, I, I think one thing that people need to realize when it comes to science of any kind is that science come to, comes down ultimately to an argument. So with a scientific study or research, you, you have a paper that lays out some pretty non-negotiable things. So it lays out the goal. It lays out the instruments used. It, use, it lays out the method. It lays out the data and the methods used to interpret the data. But then at the end, it gets to a point where you get to the interpretation of the results, the interpretation of the data. And that's really the scientists or the researchers making an argument about what they found. Sometimes the argument isn't always right. Sometimes the argument doesn't tell the full story. Sometimes the argument is driven by potential conflicts of interest. So here's an example. You, you talked about health marketing even a, a hundred years ago with snake oil and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're seeing questionable arguments being made in the space today. There, there seems to be a push for eating bugs, which is almost a silly thing to talk about. But you do see tons of articles saying that this is the new path moving forward. This is it has protein. It's good for your health. It has omegas. It's good for your health. But if you were to examine this closer, you know, just because something has a nutritional profile doesn't mean that it's good for your health, right? There are plenty of things with protein or omegas that might not be good for your health. So then you start to look a little deeper and you find that there's an ingredient or really a, a component of the exoskeleton of bugs called chitin that is non-digestible to humans. So that's an entire argument that's left out of this conversation around the push for eating bugs as well. Oh, is that okay. right? Yeah, if you want to talk about protein and omegas, but what about the fact that these things are not easily digestible? They can contribute to gut permeability and all sorts of gut inflammation, and, and I could go on and on. So then, you know, where's the financial drive coming from this? Because there's no demand. We live in a, a supply-demand economy. Where's the demand for eating bugs? So, you know, th there's certainly some red flags when you look at things like that. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff, Mike. Um what what have you discovered or you know what is your take on how social media uh influences or um affects these kinds of dynamics and i'm i'm thinking about things such as like the psychology of crowds or the spread of misinformation do you, do you have any thoughts around that 
Yeah. So social media is so interesting because historically you look at crowd psychology and you have to be physically in an area with somebody for that to constitute a crowd. And there's plenty of research and work on this. You look at uh, The Crowd Mind is a great book by Gustave Le Bon who goes into the intricacies of the crowd mind and how it's kind of separate from the individual mind. And one of the implications of that is something called de-individuation, which is a separation from your individual consciousness, where it puts you into a sort of collective conscious state where you're very reactive. You're not using your prefrontal cortex as much and making critical thoughts. You're kind of going with the flow. This is why you hear some people call other people sheep. Now, I'm not condoning that. That's maybe a little mean. Uh, but that's the sort of thing that they're talking about is de-individuation. And with the technical landscape that we find ourselves in, social media has created this opportunity for people to be in a crowd in a digital space. So you don't even have to be physically in the same space anymore. And that can be good and bad, right? So there's you, you can form a community of positive, like-minded people. That's great. But it also could contribute to this de-individuation, which puts people into this less cognitive state and it makes them more reactive. It makes them more vulnerable, more easy to put forth something like ideological subversion. Because when you have a strong sense of identity and, and individuality, it's very tough for people to really subvert your own ideologies and, and attack the ideas that you hold strong. But when you find yourself as part of this collective group, well, you've kind of sacrificed elements of your individuality. And that's why when you look at something like ideological subversion, as uh, Yuri Bezmenov talked about uh, from the former KGB, uh, you know, you kind of need the individuation to be able to uh, subvert people in that way. So social media has its benefits, but it also has some big areas of concern when you think about the propagation of potentially dangerous information. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a really interesting concept of uh, D and it's kind of challenging to say de-individuation. Mm. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, I think of that as a, like a, perhaps a necessary, but insufficient step in some kinds of like, like, like hurting and forcing kind of um uh flows right and I, I mean there's been plenty of times in my life when i've been in a crowd of people and um i'm literally like going with the flow you can think of it as like having like fluid dynamic properties being in a, in a crowd like at at a at a, at a big uh, college football game or at a concert and you're you're exiting and whatnot you're 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 kind of in the flow and it's not like it's a dangerous situation uh, at that very moment, but there is a bit of a helplessness to it in that you're you're going to have a hard time either getting out of the flow or going in a different direction. And there really is an analogy with um, uh, uh, social media dynamics. Or we we were talking before uh, to our audience talking before we got started here. And for, for me, I mean, I'll, I'll just admit my own, um, you know, some of the own experiences that I've had, it's super easy to just lose an hour, uh, going down, uh, you know, some kind of a social media rabbit hole, especially with these, 
engaging little short videos, which have become, you know, uh, so popular on so many platforms these days. And all of a sudden, you know, where did that 30 minutes go? But uh, back to the de-individuation and just going with the flow, it's really easy just to kind of watch whatever video comes up next, you know, un uncritically. And something that I've started doing is, um, especially with these short channels. So like I've, 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 <laughs> this is a, this is a long sidebar here. <laughs> Bear with me, Mike. There's a, there's a You're question. Good. There's a question in, in here somewhere. Uh, but uh, you know, so I've you know watched YouTube videos now for at least ten years, and uh, you know these these little engaging short videos have only been around for maybe maybe a year. Um, uh, but oh oh yeah, but with with the typical YouTube video and channels, um, I have not typically subscribed or unsubscribed or blocked certain channels just because I haven't found it to be especially necessary because I've, I, I typically choose the video that I'm going to watch and I consciously choose it, but these little shorts, uh, again, getting back into the flow, it's really easy just to flow and just watch the next one and watch the next one. But here just recently, I have consciously started like telling YouTube, you know, don't show me this anymore or, you know, dis disengage from this particular channel because they're, they're, they're serving up content to me that they think that I should like. And mm. occasionally it becomes pretty obvious to me that, that YouTube is serving up content to me, you know, based upon my age and all that kind of stuff. Like, Hey, other other men in their, in their mid fifties, like this kind of content, what do you think? And it's like, I mean, not to get too graphic or anything, but it might be something that's a little bit more sexual or, or titillating or something. And I will you know, very quickly now just like swipe off of it so that the algorithm doesn't think that that's the kind of thing that interests me. Or I will actually say, you know, don't show this channel to me anymore because if this channel has this kind of content, then yeah, forget it. It's not worth my time. And nor do I want the uh, algorithm to serve up that kind of content to me going forward. So anyway, there, there's a question in there somewhere that maps back to being in the flow and, and uh, being influenced. Yeah, I think there's actually a dichotomy there because on one hand, you do want to be careful about the information that you consume because it's like food, right? You're eating food. You want to be careful mm. about the food mm. that you eat. Well, you're also consuming media. You want to be careful about that. And the same way I would tell one of my clients, maybe it's not best to surround yourself with toxic people. Well, it's also not the best to surround yourself with toxic ideas. So if you come across something that's particularly egregious, you probably want to eliminate that from your feed. At the same time, and this is where the dichotomy comes in. On the other hand, you also don't want to nerf your life. So you don't want to stumble into an echo chamber or create echo chambers for yourself. And this is more along the lines of, things that you disagree with, especially like politics or, or whatever. If, there, if you encounter information that you're just like, oh, I don't agree with that, or I don't like this person because he said something I don't agree with, I'm going to eliminate them from my feed. I understand that, and that's totally up to you. But at the same time, you might just be creating a very cushy environment for yourself where it's only things that you agree, uh, agree with. And then next thing you know, you're basically contributing to mental fragility and you're making yourself 
weak in terms of being able to encounter things that you don't like or you don't disagree with or that you don't agree with. And that's not very productive. It's not conducive to strength. It's not even conducive to getting by in the chaotic, disagreeable world that we live in. So there is, you know, it, it's up to the individual to figure out uh, what do I want in front of me and, and what don't I? And the digital space is maybe a little more complex because it's pretty straightforward when we try to figure out what we want in our homes or not. But, you know, many of us spend more time in the social media space than we even do mentally in our physical environment. So it's really something to put a lot of thought into. Yeah, I really appreciate your uh, health perspective on this, like personal, personal, mental, physical health perspective. Um, so what, what are some of the strategies that you've either developed or learned uh, to uh, counter some of these tendencies or, you know, uh, ways of, of uh, countering these influence techniques? So there's a few. Uh, one of them that is a favorite of the people that I work with is basically self-indoctrination. So, you know, you look at something like the Pledge of Allegiance. Technically, that's a type of indoctrination. I, I have no problem with that. I'm not trying to be negative or, or uh, challenge that in any way. I think indoctrination, you look at it technically by definition, it's, you know, going along with a doctrine and trying to instill that into somebody in some way. And so you obviously there's a strong case for the Pledge of Allegiance being a very positive thing, contributing to patriotism in this beautiful country of ours. It's great. We can also do the same thing for ourselves. We can recognize the values that we have, the what really we want to abide by as individuals. Many of us fail to think about that at all. But what do we stand for? And we can create our own type of Pledge of Allegiance to our own values. And we can recite this every morning or however we see fit every Sunday, you know, whatever the individual wants to do is, you know, a, a type of self indoctrination process. And there's other ways to do that. It doesn't have to be, you know, reciting a pledge because um, indoctrination, there's a lot of different components to that, right? It's the clothes you wear, it's rituals that you might have. So creating some kind of process to remind yourself of the values that you hold dear and that you want to carry with you. Hmm. Other than that would be controlling your environment. And that's kind of a, a general open thing. So I'll be more specific. Uh, something called standard operating procedures. Ah, love it. I, I could talk about that for days, but the, the most concise way I think to say that would be SOPs, standard operating procedures, is basically making decisions ahead of time of how you want to behave. So you eliminate the thought from it. It actually eliminates the possibility of being influenced if you've already decided and determined how you're going to act and behave. So if you wake up, and let me actually say this first, most of us already abide by a set of standard operating procedures, both in our personal life and our work life. Mm -hmm. So when you go to work, you are already following the SOPs that have already been set for you by somebody else. So you're committing to SOPs. You're getting paid for it. You're doing the work for somebody else. But then many people come home and they tune out and they fail to implement some kind of SOP for themselves that really brings them further away from their goals. Meaning if they were to implement even the simplest of standard operating procedures for their own personal life, they would move closer to their goals every day, whatever those goals are. 
So on a personal level, we already have SOPs. We already have routines, whether we realize it or not. Whatever you do in the morning consistently is your morning routine. So it would benefit a lot of people to do that self-reflection and figure out what am I doing already? Because a lot of us don't think about that. But what am I doing already? How can I create a set of standard operating procedures so that I, I behave in a way that's more conducive to the goals that I want to accomplish? And like I said, there is so much that. That's really what I spend most of my time helping people with that I work with. And it's different for everybody. Hey folks, big announcement. Just give me two minutes here. So speaking of standard operating procedures, I'm excited to announce that the pre-sale for my new program is live. So the new program is Creating Time Wealth. And it very much focuses on all of the tools, tactics, and information, all that stuff that you need to build your own set of standard operating procedures, ultimately creating a system that works for you so that you never have to worry about managing your time again. You never have to really worry about motivation again. Uh, there's really a lot that I cover in the program, everything from your psychology to budgeting, planning, spending, strategizing, all the sorts of things that people do for creating financial wealth, you can also do for uh, creating time wealth. And again, uh, standard operating procedures is a big part of it. And there really is a whole lot I could say. This is something I've been working on for 10 years, really. Uh, ever since, uh, actually, uh, let me think, maybe even longer than that, because this all started really when I was 16 years old making pizza in pizza places and you know if you want to produce a consistent product if you want to make the same pizza the same way every time you need standard operating procedures so this is something that i've been developing these systems for uh, a really long time actually and so it's all culminated into this program creating time wealth that again is for pre-sale right now so click the link below or you can go to creatingtimewealth.com that'll redirect you to redpillhealthandwellness.com uh, but now's the time to get it don't waste any time uh, ironically uh, because the price will go up soon so please check it out and now back to the show that's the thing uh, I can go on and on, but I'll I'll probably stop there because I can really get carried away with this. Yeah, no, you you are really speaking my language there as far as like understand. So what what you were describing there, uh, the the national security community might also uh, think about as uh, patterns of life, and uh, if you can, if you if bad actors or uh, it understanding patterns of life is a useful uh, technique, uh, across all kinds of domains of interest. And if you can model and, uh, objectively, uh, understand what the typical behaviors are, the, the, the emerging trends, though, you know, when, when someone does this, there's a, uh, 60% likelihood they're going to do this next. And then there's a 40% likelihood they're going to do this next. This gets into that kind of like that, that, that hurting and forcing, forcing, kinds of uh, functions in order to uh, channel somebody or channel a society or channel a an organization down some kind of a, a pathway towards a targetable uh, activity. And by targetable, I don't mean dropping a bomb on them. I mean, you know, delivering something to them that's going to help uh, advance your goals. You know, be, be, being cognizant of that, uh, what, what I'm hearing you say uh, saying is being cognizant of your SA S SOPs 
and uh, uh, you know having some uh, deliberateness about how you go about your daily life is um, a uh, way of uh, potentially uh, m- minimizing the likelihood of uh, being influenced in ways that uh, are would would be detrimental to your health. Would you say that there's something to to what I was just describing oh, here? Oh, a thousand percent. And and here's an example because I I think some people might hear that and they might go like I don't know I I don't believe that I I'm not influenced right because when we're influenced we don't exactly feel often like we've been influenced. But here's something I hear all the time from people I work with. I went into Target to buy two things and I walked out and I bought 10 things. How could this happen? Mm-hmm. It's because you were influenced. They, you know, that's not an accident. There are people who gather around in rooms and say, hey, how can we influence these people to buy more things? And it works. And these people, they, you know, they go in with the intention of buying maybe two things and then their buttons are pushed and their strings are pulled and they look at the packaging and the slogans and the colors and the music that's playing and the lighting and all these different things that are not set up accidentally. They spend millions of dollars trying to make it very deliberate how everything is placed perfectly in that store and it works and we spend way more money than we intend to. And that's a perfect example of how the average civilian is influenced in ways that they might not even realize when it's happening. And that's important to realize because it happens beyond target. It happens all the time. It happens in almost every facet of life. And the sooner we can recognize that, the sooner we can take control of our health. Yeah. Uh, we had a really interesting previous episode. I haven't brought this up in a while, but it maps onto what you were just describing there, Mike, with a, a fellow named uh, Denver Dill, who um, I, I don't know whether he's retired from the army yet or not, but uh, this was about a year ago, uh, but he, he is an instructor at West Point and his MOS in the army, I'm going to not get this quite right, but basically he is a musician in the army and he is teaching West Point cadets and also some of their graduate students as well, the, the uh, power of music and, and how music can be used in influence uh, operations. And so, yeah, we, during the, I'll, I'll, I'll have a link to it in the show notes, but, uh, he, he describes the, uh, Disney experience and, uh, you know, how, when people come into Disneyland or Disney world, it's like they are entering a, a whole new experience and there's music and sights and sounds, and it's all part of it. And it's not about, well, I mean, maybe with Disney, it is about, you know, uh, you know, partially about, you know, having people, you know, spend more money at their parks, but, you know, set that aside for just a moment. It's also about the experience and, you know, you're, you're doing something different. You're not going, you're, you're not, you know, going on a walk or you're not going to the movie, you're going to Disney, right? And it's a, it's a transformational kind of a thing. And that's kind of what you were just describing uh, with a shopping experience as well. Yeah, imagine the silliness of just for contrast, if Disney were to play like heavy metal, Cradle of Filth, or or some like obviously <laughs> okay, yeah, different. Yeah. You know, people would obviously notice that it would change their experience, and and I don't think they're going to do that anytime soon. But it does highlight the effectiveness of music and the the power that it can really have on influencing how we feel. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, I'm putting a link in the show notes. It's uh, episode number ninety one, Denver Dill on the arts. So, uh, interested listeners can go and check that out. Um, wow, man. Well, 
I tell you what, Mike, this has been a fascinating discussion, a uh, really interesting space that, that, that you're working in here uh, with, with your clients. Um, uh, important, obviously. Um, I'd like to close out, if we may. So we, we've got a lot of students and researchers who listen to this podcast. What, what, what kind of a fruitful research question might you suggest to somebody who wants to uh, investigate some of this stuff further and uh, contribute to the body of uh, knowledge? Yeah, I have a few thoughts there, because on one hand, I, it would be interesting to see some experimental research in the crowd psychology space, basically looking at the mechanisms of de-individuation and, and the implications of that. But, you know, I, I've worked with the IRB. I've done cognitive psychology research. I know how difficult it would probably be to get something like that passed by the Institutional Review Board, the IRB. Um, and, and, you know, even funnier is that I, I think those are the types of research that you would imagine that the intelligence agencies are doing in a covert way. You know, they, they I'm sure they are on some level. Um, but more practically speaking, I it seems relevant. Some research on AI and the ability to influence people's opinions towards incorrect ideas and this would be pretty straightforward to set up because nowadays ai uh programs can be constructed to do very specific tasks so a research team could construct an ai bot where you would have two groups you have the control group that just interacts with an ai bot that tells the truth then you have another ai bot in the experimental group that talks about you know, that converges and, and uh, talks or, or not converges, but converses with the participant and misleads them in some programmed way. So, you know, the details of that study would have to be worked out. What are they trying to mislead them about? Uh, but I'd be curious to see how effective an AI would be in getting people to change their minds on topics or ideas that they hold deeply, like some serious close to your personal identity type ideas like political ideology for instance can we get ai to manipulate people into changing their political ideologies because i would imagine that there are governments out there already you know when we talk about national security and you think about propaganda i'm sure there are ai and bot efforts already trying to do these sorts of things on people i mean you go back to the the russian interference uh controversy from the past few years that's exactly the sort of thing they're talking about so i think it would be neat to see the actual effectiveness on a scientific level especially as ai continues to grow and develop and become smarter and stronger every day all right yeah excellent suggestion and then finally you gave uh, a shout out to a book by gustav Lebon uh a few moments ago we'll have a link to that but are there any other books or online resources that are some of your go-to materials for understanding these kinds of dynamics better? Yeah, I have three other book suggestions. Uh, okay. Anything by Edward Bernays is great. Ah. Uh, Edward Bernays is the father of modern propaganda and public relations. And so it's really interesting. You know, we could debate for hours about the difference between something like marketing and propaganda, like political propaganda. You know, there, there's a lot to be said about that, but ultimately they accomplish the same things. They use the same tools and tactics. It's to gather and, and propagate information in a coordinated way 
to influence the perceptions or behaviors of a targeted group of people. And Edward Bernays has done that both in a public relations capacity and a propaganda capacity. Uh, so that's really where I think a lot of people can learn on a deep level the, the way that these sorts of things are carried out. But in terms of health, uh, there's a good book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg that will give you a good look into the mechanisms that drive your habits and inclinations. It will really help you understand what drives you currently. And the book that you should read immediately after that is called Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And that might seem odd or out of place, but the reason I, I recommend reading that after habits is because habit focuses on the internal, whereas Checklist Manifesto focuses on the actual application and, and the externalization of those sorts of things that you would have learned in the habits book. So it allows you to more easily create the standard operating procedures that I talked about earlier in this episode so that you can really build a system that works for you so that you can constantly influence yourself instead of allow yourself to be influenced by others. Excellent suggestions, Mike. Really appreciate it. And uh, with that, Mike Vera, thank you so much for being a guest on The Cognitive Crucible. Thanks so much, John. It's great to be here. The Cognitive Crucible is the only podcast dedicated to increasing interdisciplinary collaboration between information operations practitioners, scholars, and policymakers. To find out more about the Information Professionals Association, visit us at information-professionals.org. Please support our podcast by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review.